Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. Today is episode 60 of the podcast, and I get to have on the lead pastor of Jesus Culture Sacramento, Banning Lipshire. Banning and I go deep into his new book, Three Mile, where we talk about courage, holiness, and faith. I love the way Pastor Banning tells stories and shares his nuggets. You're going to find so much practical wisdom in this episode. As always, if you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, leave a comment where you can, and give us a review. It does help people find us so that we can share about what God is doing on this platform. Also, if you want to be a part of the Reclamation community, the best way to do that is to text the word RECLAIM to 66866 and join hundreds of others in their process of reclaiming good practices for faith and life. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Banning Lipshire. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here today with pastor, author, speaker, uh, Jesus Culture, uh, Sacramento lead pastor, Banning. How the heck are you, sir? Thank you so much for being on today. Well, first, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. And I'm doing okay, you know. I mean, what a crazy time we live in right now, and we're all figuring it out. But uh, I'm at home with a bunch of teenagers and leading church, but but uh, also really seeing God do some good stuff. So I'm well, thank you. It, it's It's been interesting with the COVID stuff because um, I wouldn't trade the time, although I long to get back with the community, the church body and worship together. H- how has that been for you? Because I know a big part of the way that you guys do church is the presence of God and soaking in that presence. How, how, how's that been for you and, and for your, your church body? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because obviously if I could, if we could talk spiritual, sure. uh, because from a practical economic standpoint, and, and we've seen the Lord do some incredible miracles in the lives of people to provide and protect, but obviously my heart is for those people that are losing jobs and, mm-hmm. and, and have experienced loss, uh, even loss of life and things like that. In the midst of that, in the midst of this disruption though, and the system got disrupted <laughs> in the midst of that, um, man, the Lord's doing amazing stuff. I said at the very beginning, I said, I really think that we're going to see in a positive way, the maturity of people manifest in this time in the church. And man, we have, Mm. it's been some of the most beautiful times where when, when things have been stripped away and what we normally know, we gather on Sundays and we connect in small groups and we hug and we're face to face and we do these things. When that stuff got stripped away, I've just seen the church step up and be the church in really incredible ways. People moving when, when, when community and connection looks different and more inconvenient, but they're moving towards it and they're reaching out and they're making sure they're not just sitting back. And, and, and we even have, you know, couples, uh, families that have adopted single moms in this time and they check on them every single week and they're oh, bringing wow. them groceries and they just said, Hey, we're going to make sure that you do okay. You know, cause the elderly, the single moms, these are the ones that are the more, you know, uh, that just have faced more hurdles than others. And so I'm just watching it and I'm just going like, listen, I want to get back. I want to gather. There's, there's things you just can't do online right. <laughs> that you could do in person. And, and we're to be together. The body of Christ is to be together. But, but at the same time, it's been pretty incredible to see the depth and maturity of believers. And I think there's a lot of people maybe even that have taken things flippantly and casually that have kind of begun to solidify some things in their life around 
you know, God being their source and the need for community and continuing to be generous and all of these things. I've just seen people double down on it and just say, we're not going to part. And what a beautiful moment for the, and listen, I'm okay when people struggle and worry, right. worry, anxiety and fear. Like I, we all do that. Sure. I think the book of Psalms is that wrestling, but um, I've just seen people that say we refuse to partner with fear. Hmm. We're going to continue to walk in faith. We know who our provider is. We know who our protector is. We're not anchored to the kingdom of this world. We're anchored to the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom that is not shaken. And so while the world may be shaking, we're anchored to a different reality. And to see people just say, because of that, we're not going to partner with fear. It's actually been really beautiful. I don't know how you, how would you ever manufacture this? I think that there are, we've, people have had crisis. Sure. People, people have had crisis. People have gone through health crisis and financial crisis and relational crisis. And I mean, 9-11, right? You were pastoring during 9-11. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and not even, I'm not I'm talking about collectively. I'm talking about individually. People sure. have had times of uncertainty and times of health issues, but never before mm-hmm. have we collectively as a society encountered what we're doing. And, um, and I, so how do you manufacture this? You, you know, so it's pretty, it's, 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 I'm standing against the virus and praying that it ends. And I'm also seeing a lot of beauty happen in the midst of it in the body of Christ. Well, certainly one of the things that's become really uh, evident is that God will continue to do some pretty incredible things during this time period. Uh, yes. One of which is, is this new piece that you've written that's now looks like it's on track to come out during the COVID crisis. And it's, it's all about calling, right? And it, yeah. it feels more than, more than ever before that people seem to be spiraling with their identity once yes. we've stripped away activities and even, even church activities, what we would deem as good activities, when we yes, take yes. all the, the stuff to do. Um, yeah. and, and now it's just you and, and God, and you're talking, and, and you've got this book on identity. Uh, I know you couldn't have imagined it when you wrote it, but how do you see the two partnering together now? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I say this. I think that in the wilderness, which we're kind of in a forced wilderness, mm-hmm. uh, a wilderness. You know, the wilderness is that time where things get stripped away. You don't get to take things with you into the wilderness. Uh, there are things that you rely on. There are things that you take comfort in. There are things that you lean on that you don't get to take in the wilderness and you get to just find God. But in the wilderness, I think comes some clarity. And so I would say that I think that my prayer is that people would come out of this season with clarity. They come out of the season with, with a seriousness and a clarity around their call. And so this is what the book's about for me. I mean, I would say if I could just backtrack for me, my passion, and I'm a pastor, I lead a church, love people. My passion is to come alongside people and just encourage them. Yeah. I, I, want, I want to inspire them. I want to challenge them, but I want to encourage them. And, and so really all, everything I'm writing is geared towards trying to help give clarity for people on how God's working and what he's, and what he's doing and then just encourage them. So that's what this book is. This book is really around this concept that we all have a call in our life. Every single one of us have been called by God. And we're called in two areas. We're called to be someone and we're called to do something. So God is calling us to be. Now, ultimately, it's to look like Jesus. He's shaping and forming and molding us to look like Jesus. But we have a call to be someone. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a husband of purity. Uh, maybe it's a father uh, that breaks the, the generational line from your fathers. You know, We're called to be someone. And then we're called to do something. And that looks like partnering with God and what he's doing in the earth. 
And so my heart is, and, and this is what I believe. I believe that we are most alive, we are most fulfilled, we are most thriving when we're engaging the call of God in our life. Yeah. When we're engaging the call of God on our life, that's when we're most alive. And I want to see people alive. I want to see people thriving and fulfilled. And so that's what it is. And, and this book is really about awakening, seeing that call awaken in your life and seeing you engage it fully and then what it takes to actually walk that out. It's kind of, ba- it is, it's not kind of, it's based in the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. Which- oh, so that, that, that was the question I wanted to ask next. Uh, how, why did, like out of all the stories in the Bible, when I got to that part of the book, I was like, well, that's, this is, you know, you, you, you reference it. First Samuel 14, this is super yes. interesting. Why Jonathan and his armor bearer, which seems like such a, uh, yeah, why did so, God choose that one for you? You know, you know, I youth pastored for a long time. I was in full-time youth ministry for 12 years. And, uh, you know, there are certain passages that they just become kind of uh, just passages that you stick with for years. This is one of them. And for me, this story in First Samuel 14 is such an incredible, it, it, it's a contrast for me. It's a picture of contrast. It shows, you know, the, story, the, the background is the Israelites underneath the leadership of King Saul is encamped on one hill against the Philistines who are on another hill. And so God has a mandate on the Israelites to defeat the enemies of God, to, to, to take the land. But the Israelites are encamped, but not engaged. Mm. And, and the, the picture is this. Saul is content with his army to sit on a hill underneath the pomegranate tree and not really go after what God's called him to. He's kind of content not being engaged in pursuing this thing. And then there's Jonathan, his son where something awakens in his heart, something stirs. He was sitting with those men. He was sitting with his father and the men. But one day something just happened and he just said, I don't want to sit anymore. I I don't want to look at my destiny from a distance. I don't want to look at my calling passively. I want to get up, be proactive, and engage it. So he grabbed an armor bear and he said, let's go do this. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know what it's going to look like, I, but, but I can't sit anymore. I'm not satisfied sitting. He got this holy dissatisfaction. And while, while Saul was satisfied sitting, Jonathan wasn't, and he got up and did something about it. And so the reason why the book's called The Three Mile Walk is because in between the hill where the Israelites are and the hill where the Philistines are is a three-mile valley. And uh, uh, geographically, it's a three-mile valley. And so it's just that thing that when God awakens your heart and something stirs within you, where you just say, I feel a dissatisfaction. There has got to be more to, the, to my walk with God than what I'm experiencing. Then, then that journey is a three-mile walk, and it requires stuff to be able to do it. But that's kind of, that's why that story for sure. me is so poignant and, and I, prophetic I and it. practical. So as I was kind of listening to that, one of the things that you talked about is Saul feels content and Jonathan doesn't. I think that there are a lot of people who wrestle with whether or not they should be content or discontent as it pertains to the relationship with God. Yeah. Um, how, how do you, and how, how do you live in that tension of, man, I want to be content with what I have. I want to be discontent with what God's called me to. What's the right balance there? Uh, Tony, I, you, you nailed it too. There's a tension we're called to live in. And I think you can, I think you can be both. I think that you can be extremely content, extremely um, grateful for all that God has done. 
We're so grateful for all that he's done. No matter where you are in life, uh, Jesus died on a cross, gave, you know, God gave his son for yeah. you. You have life because of it. Like we are so grateful and content. We're not in a hurry. We're not, uh, I'm not upset because my destiny hasn't happened yet or this dream hasn't come about. I find my identity and satisfaction fully in, in who I am in Christ. At the same time, there's something that you can, that stirs within us that says, I want all that Jesus paid for. Yeah. And, and this is that issue. It's that thing that says, I am so, I am so, uh, it's a little bit like, um, this is the story that I would say, you know, uh, es, uh, not Esther, um, gosh, it's not Esther, forgive me for this. I, I, I'm a pastor and I'm stuck on this. Hannah, sorry, Hannah. Hannah really wants a son and this, and she's stirred just to have a son and her husband comes to her and says, why, you know, what am I not better to you than 10 sons? And Hannah kind of lives in the same tension where she's like, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for you as a husband. You've been so good to me, but I also have something inside of me that desires mm. a son. I feel like the Lord's put more. I think he's offering more. And this is that tension we live in extremely content with God. And at the same time saying, I don't want to accept less than what you paid for. And I think a lot of believers accept less. We just accept less. God yeah. offers freedom. We accept less than freedom. God offers us to partner with him to change the world. And we accept less than that. God offers us all this stuff. And so, so all the, Jesus paid a, a massive price. This is the illustration I would use. My wife and I, we've been married 22 years. And it's interesting because um, she, we're wired so different. If, you know, if you're married, you'll get this. I'm married. Yeah. We're, we're similar in a lot of areas, opposite others. Our love languages aren't the same. Our, uh, dude, we've been married uh, 17 years and I'm right there with you. Like I love yeah, my I, wife and I'm so glad we don't work together. Yeah, no, totally. We're awesome. But one of the things that my wife is like, I want to know all the features and use them. So something like that. So when, when, when uh, flat screen TVs were just coming in this years ago, flat screen TV were coming in. Um, we bought one and then we kind of did a remodel of our living room. And we also put in a Dolby digital surround sound. Oh, I think it was come five on. Yeah. One at the time. And I had it like, we spent money on it. It had the back speakers and all thing. And then this TV, which it was kind of the first generation of those TVs, it was flat screen plasma, and it had a little speaker, it had a little tiny speaker in the uh, in the TV. But in order in order to use the surround sound, you had to turn it on with a different remote. Mm. And so I would come on, and, my, and that's too much for my wife. My <laughs> wife's like, oh, I don't come on, I, mean, I don't want. So I would, she'd be watching. I would come home, and she would be watching a movie on this brand new TV in our remodeled living room. And she'd be listening to the movie out of the little tiny speaker that it came with on the flat screen TV. I was just like, yeah. and I just, I come on like, why aren't you turning on the surround sound? Like this could be surrounding you and, and it's coming and it's digital. And she'd, she'd be like, I don't know. It feels like so much work to have to, get the other remote and i'm like we paid for this we paid for the surround sound stop listening to movies through the tv speaker and uh and we just this has continued because now we buy a car with bluetooth but she never wants to connect her phone to the bluetooth so she's still like holding it which is illegal oh, listening to it and i'm like you have bluetooth in your car we bought it like it's a it, she's like ah it sounds like such a hassle 
And so this is my thing of, I think believers sometimes, I just want to look at them and say, there is so much more than what you're, than what you're actually taking advantage of. Yeah. You don't have to just live a life of listening to that tiny little speaker. Like God has purchased so much more for you. There's the fullness of the kingdom that's available to you, but we're somehow satisfied with less. So when I'm talking about dissatisfied, I'm not talking about not being content. Okay. I'm talking about being dissatisfied, but saying, I don't want, I'm, I refuse to settle for anything less than what Jesus paid for. That'll I'm preach. not going to settle for less. And that means, listen, you may be struggling with freedom right now. You, you may, you know, you may be a husband who's, who's dealing with sexual issues and you've got, you know, four generations behind you that have been womanizers and, and have dealt with pornography and divorce and, 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 and you're like fighting for freedom, but you're just, it's hard. And, there just needs to be something inside of you that says, oh, I refuse to settle for anything less than freedom. That is what Jesus purchased for me. And, 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 and I may be in the midst of the fight right now, but I'm not going to settle. It's amazing to me how many people settle um, and just kind of accept, well, this is just how life is. I, I, you know, and it, it's funny. We, we have broken things in our life yeah. that Jesus has come to bring wholeness to. But we just kind of have workarounds. Um, I, uh, uh, an illustration we would use is uh, there's so many times that you don't even realize it, but there are things broken in your home that you now don't even think about anymore. I'm, I remember <laughs> in order to get my front door. Were you at my house this morning? Stop it. <laughs> well, you know, in order to get my house where you to get in the front door, you put the key in. But you had to pull the key out just a little bit in oh, order yeah. to turn it. Like the key wouldn't turn if you didn't pull out a little bit. So I had a friend go to my house and he goes, dude, I can't get in your house. You're, you, this is the wrong key. And I'm like, oh, it's not the wrong key. You just got to pull it out slightly. Or you know that door handle to get in your car, you know, you lift it up, go to the left. Sure. And then you, it's that type of stuff. We had, a, we had a drawer that was broken, so you'd pull it out and it would just fall. So every t- we know just to pull it out and hold it up. And I had a friend mm. go over there and pull it out and the whole thing crashes. And you, we don't even think about it anymore. We just do these workarounds like, oh, you pull the drawer out and hold it up because it's broken or you put the key yeah. in and pull it out slightly. And I'm not even thinking about that anymore. And I just want to jolt people awake and go, no, like you don't have to live like that. There's more that's available to you. And it's a process. Uh, it's, you know, it's sanctification. And all, it's a process to get there. But, but I'm wanting people to go, wait a second, am I settling Mm. for less than what Jesus has purchased on the cross. I don't want to settle for less than what Jesus has purchased. And that's that dissatisfaction. And I'm talking about with your call to change the world, yeah. your call to influence people around you, your call to make a difference, your call to be who God's called you to be. I want you to have a dissatisfaction inside of you. And I think that's what stirred Jonathan. I think Jonathan just one day said, I'm not okay sitting here. Everybody else may be okay. They may be all, they may be satisfied sitting under a pomegranate tree, not really going after all that God has called them to, but I'm not okay with that. And it's not, I'm not dissatisfied with God. I'm dissatisfied that I haven't fully taken advantage of all that he's purchased. And I don't want, I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize, wow, I I did not pursue some things that were available to me. Let me ask you this, because I'm a, I'm a pretty driven guy, kind of a control freak sometimes. Uh, I, I mean, My I'm a friend, pastor, can I, right? give, like, can I give you a podcast? Right. Uh, Zoom hug? Come on. <laughs> How do I, 
and I know I'm not alone out there. How do I know the difference between my selfish ambition and godly ambition when it comes to my calling and discontentment? Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, a couple of things real quick. I think that, um, well, let me say this. Uh, one, I think this, that when I surrender my life to the Lord, when I'm fully surrendered to the Lord, um, I think that my, my ambitions will, lie. I think he works through our desires. Um, boy, they, I mean, I have so many answers to this. Let me give you a three prong answer. Ready? Okay, this great. is because it's a big one. First it. one is this. I think that when you surrender your life to God, um, he does work through your desires. I think he puts desires in your heart. I think that's what John 15 says mm -hmm. that when his word abides in you, you'll ask what you desire and it should be done for you. So when you've really submitted to the word of God in your life, then I think your desires will begin to reflect that. But I would say two other things. One is leaders. We have to deal with the issue of insecurity. Yeah. Um, what we don't realize sometimes in the church is, is that there's some things that we allow people to get away with that are motivated, that, that are, that are driven by unhealthy motivations because they haven't dealt with their insecurity. So lots of times Ooh. people in the church, yeah, people and people in the church are driven um, and, and, they, and, and listen, it, it, it's getting results. It's producing things. People are getting saved. Things are growing. And we're just like, man, that's awesome. I love your, I love your pursuit of whatever. And we're like, no, it's actually an unhealthy motivation. Mm -hmm. And this is what I would say to pastors. And if you're not a pastor, you can still relate I, in your area. But for me, um, when I talk to pastors, I'm like, we, we need to be really, really honest about our emotions connected to a number on Sunday. So if my emotions well, if the are COVID hasn't messed that up, I don't know what yeah, has. Totally. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> well, well, but now the problem is, is now our emotions are connected to how, how well we look compared to other people's streams. Uh, I literally had a pastor today text me, a good friend. He goes, man, your set looks great. I mean, we are paying attention to the sets of other, how great their stream looks. But yeah. <laughs> if, my, if, my, if my emotions are connected to a number on Sunday, I can, I'm just speaking for myself right. and for a bunch of pastors I know, I can say, well, I just have a passion for souls. I just want to reach more people for yeah. Jesus. And here's the deal. It's actually true. I have a passion for souls. I want to reach people for Jesus. But my emotions connected to, to a number on Sunday, if I'm really honest, it's not actually my passion for souls. It's my insecurity. I want other leaders to be impressed by my leadership. Mm -hmm. I, want, I want other leaders to look at whatever and, and, and to be able to say, um, Hey, that's awesome. Man, what you're, I, I want people to be impressed by me. And so there's just insecurity that's dealing with me in that moment. It's not a passion for souls. It's because I want, I want leaders to be impressed by me. And so when it comes to ambition, if you don't deal with the issue of insecurity, and what I mean by that is this, my security has to be found in Jesus and Jesus alone. My identity is him, nothing else. Yeah. It can't be Jesus and something else. And so as a pastor, as an author, it can't be, well, you know, when Paul talks about in Christ, my identity is found in Christ, Christ alone. It can't be my identity is found in Christ and also how many people show up on a Sunday. <laughs> my identity is found in Christ and also how many people buy my book. Mm. My identity is found in Christ and also how many people like me on Instagram. Like it, the minute I start, the minute my security is anchored in something other than Jesus. And, and I actually, I actually thank God sometimes when this stuff pops up because it's a reminder for me of like, Oh, I'm still looking for identity and security in something other than Jesus. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Listen, 
uh, we're talking about my book and I want to sell books. If not one person bought my book, my identity is still secure. It's still secure in Jesus. If no, if my church drops in size, I like, you know what I mean? And so my point is this is when my identity is found secure in Jesus, I can trust my ambition because, because a lot of people have ambition not to be faithful to Jesus, but because they're just insecure and they're looking for identity and security in something other than Jesus. This is the story of David. David, David just wanted to love God and be loved by God. So when Absalom chases him out of Jerusalem and he's no longer in the castle, He's in the wilderness and he's like, I'm good. He's out there writing. He's out there writing love songs to God because he's like, I can find, I can be with God and love God in the wilderness or I can love him in the castle. It doesn't matter where that happens. My identity remains the same, whether it's in the castle or the wilderness. So you're, if you're, if you haven't dealt with insecurity, I'm just telling you our ambition is driving us sometimes to areas that, that we don't actually want to go. And then I would just say this ambition has to be connected to a proper definition of success. Oh, that's so good. we can't, we have to define success. And, and my concern, I hate broad strokes. So forgive me for a, a I mean, the, the, the body of Christ is so big, sure, so diverse, and there's so many great things happening. But the Western American church has, has, has by and large defined success based upon based upon some results somewhere rather than faithfulness and obedience so success cannot be determined outside of eternity and what i mean by that is this is that the bible makes it clear that one this life is a breath it's short it's a moment it's a vapor it's grass that withers and goes the bible also makes it clear that i'm going to stand before god one day i will not give account for my sins those have been washed clean by the blood of jesus but i will give account for my life and when I stand before God, I want to be able to, like, what's going with me into eternity and what questions is he going to ask me? So, so, um, so success has to be defined by eternity. And, and we have to ask ourselves the question, is this coming with me into eternity? And is Jesus going to ask me about this? Again, using the Sunday analogy, Jesus, you know, when I get to heaven, Jesus is not going to ask me May 10th. Uh, to, you know, 2013, how many people attended your church? Right. He's not going to ask me about that. He's because he, he, he won't ask me about it. So if he doesn't ask me about it, why am I worried about it? May 13th in 2013, May 10th. Um, uh, he's not going to ask me when I get before him. Hey, three mile walk. How many books did you sell? <laughs> he's not, he's sure. not going to ask me that question. That right. won't go with me in heaven. What's going to go with me in heaven will be, were you faithful with the call? Did you do what I asked you to do? Did you love well? Hmm. Were you obedient and were you faithful? That's success, period. There's no other definition of success. So what that means is for us ambitious types, I have to be able to ask, I'm ambitious to be obedient. Yeah. When I wake up in the morning, I want to be obedient and I want to be faithful. That's what I want. Because, because, and, and, and I would say this in, we, in the Western world, we seem to, we seem to be impressed by things Jesus isn't impressed by. We're impressed by numbers. We're impressed by following. We're, we're just impressed by stuff, but Jesus, you know, what impresses Jesus faithfulness yeah. and obedience. 
whether or not you loved well. That's what impresses Jesus. As if somehow God is more impressed, and please hear me on this because these are people I love. Yeah. But as somehow God's more impressed with a Stephen Furtick or a Joel Osteen, as if God's more impressed by Joel Osteen because of how large his church is compared to the missionary in China who sits with lepers and nobody knows. Or, or I know a family that sold everything, moved their family to China because they heard about unwanted kids who had special needs, who were physically disabled. Mm. And so nobody wanted them. And so they sold everything, moved their family to start an orphanage to love kids. While they were on the earth, they were going to know love. <laughs> and many of them have just a short time on the earth because of their disabilities, as if God's more impressed by Joel Osteen's numbers than he is by this family who is unknown, sold everything to love these kids in China. That's the silliness of where we are, though, right? Right. And so at the end of the day, it's faithfulness and obedience. I had a, and I think we need to begin to applaud what he's applauding. And, uh, and just begin to bring him gifts. I had a, um, you know, when we planted a church, I don't know how many people would know about Jesus culture, but we had a really well-known worship world. Yeah. And uh, so I'm kind of like church and you, you came out of Bethel. Yeah. So right. So was, out of Bethel. Right. Yes. I mean, that, that, that comes with some uh, baggage, good or bad, I guess. I don't, I don't really know how to yeah, say that well, otherwise, but like. Uh, uh, it comes with it comes with good for people that love us and bad for people that don't. Okay, good. <laughs> but, That's <laughs> but, but more good, more good. Yeah. But but we moved down, had a name. I had a bunch of famous worship leaders, church planners dream, uh, church church growing, we're adding services. You know, we got three services and we had a Sunday where I come in and it was just a great Sunday. I mean, the word was strong, worship was fantastic, people were there, services were packed. And in between the services, um, I'm out talking to people. We're at a high school still. We needed a high school or a mobile church. I'm out in this breezeway talking to people. This lady walks by, I haven't met her. I said, hey, can I just, hi, how are you doing? Nice to meet you. And she starts telling me your story a little bit. She says, hey, I started coming recently. And she says, we have a thing called Elements, which is kind of how to get involved, you know, mm -hmm. kind of the intro into yeah. our church. She says, hey, I've been coming. She goes, I went to, and it's also how to serve. She said, I went to Elements just one Sunday, but I haven't been back. And she says, I deal with social anxiety and it's just been hard for me, but I'm coming to church. And, and she, she, she was kind of beating herself up for not being as far along as she should in her head. And I just stopped. I said, oh, listen, don't take your time. Well done showing up to church. Great job. You've yeah. got time. You know, like, it's okay. Don't worry about that stuff. I took her back in this green room we have for all of our volunteers and introduced her to some of our leaders. And I'm driving home that, that afternoon after church, just in my car, driving home. And uh, I just kind of turned my heart to the Lord and was connecting with him. And do you know what I felt the pleasure of the Lord over the most for that Sunday? It wasn't the amount of people that were there. It wasn't how phenomenal my word was. It wasn't how much we nailed worship. It wasn't how great our stage looked. It wasn't how great whatever we implemented. I felt the pleasure of the Lord on my interaction with that lady. Yeah. That five minutes where I just took some time to love on her, to see her, to speak life into her. And I thought, man, it's so crazy because what we post on online and what everybody is so impressed by you know what everybody's impressed by they're impressed by the numbers of people how great our stage looked, and how funny my stories were and 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 you know what god's impressed by 
He's impressed by that moment where I just stopped and was obedient and loved on a lady for a little bit. And I think that my point is this, is we've got to re, if your ambition is going to get you in trouble if you don't have a correct definition of success. Mm. Success is just flat out obedience to the Lord and faithfulness. And if that's I'm known or not known, then so be it. Like I, but but I just want to love people and I want to be impressed by what he's impressed by. I want to applaud what he's applauding. And, and I want to stand before him one day. And you know what he's going to ask me? He's not going to say, Hey, Hey, how many people were at your church on the same? He's going to say, thank you for loving that lady. Like, so that's what I asked I you. I absolutely that love that. I absolutely love that. And yet I also know that tomorrow I'm going to have to wake up. So, so getting super, <laughs> super practical, right? Super practical. And, and you talk about the, the three different miles. And I think each mile represents kind of a different practice to this end yes. game. Yeah. You know, holiness, courage, and faith. Yeah. If, if someone's listening to this right now and they're like, I want that. But then I'm also like struggling because, you know, Instagram envy is real and all of those things. Yeah, oh, yeah, it is. What does real like tactile practice of holiness, courage, and faith help us center our, uh, our calling with God as an obedient servant. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when we do talk about this thing and I appreciate you bringing up these miles, we took the three mile walk and just kind of, it was three miles. We talked about holiness, which is just, I, I grew up in a pretty legalistic environment. So holiness was, more a list of do's and don'ts, more a list of don'ts even. Right. And you were holy if you didn't do things rather than just the concept that holiness is about being set apart. It's about, mm -hmm. it's about your life being completely set apart to God. It's 100% relational. It's one big yes. And so I think practically you just wake up in the morning, you just say, God, today I again embrace a life of holiness. I want my life to be set apart for you. I want my life to have one purpose. I want to look like you today. Uh, this is what, you know, uh, be holy as I am holy. Uh, Jesus as a father, I mean, God as a father loves when we look like him. He wants a relationship with us as sons and daughters. So we just wake up and, it, and it's just that thing like, Lord, whatever in my life, um, whatever in my life that may not be set apart to you, hmm. I want it to be set apart to you. And, and that's that concept of sanctification, right? It's, it's hey, that, you're speaking it's, Methodism language right here. We love yeah, sanctification. Yeah. yeah, it's just sanctification. I mean, we know this. Uh, you would know this, that you know justification, it's that one-time legal act. Right. But sanctification is the, the everyday working of the Holy Spirit in our life to set us apart and to make us look like Jesus. And so, you know, it's every day I wake up and embrace a life of holiness. Every day I just wake up and say, God, whatever... Whatever may not be set apart for you, whatever may not be sanctified, like, like continue that work in my life. And then just understanding this, you know, I talk a lot about courage and I, I almost, in all honesty, I, I, I mean, probably the meat of this book, I almost wrote a book just on holiness, but decided to add it in this because it just was, it just was, was resonating. But courage is the big one for me. I would say this, that, um, that as the Lord stirring your heart, as you're listening to this podcast and think this is the best podcast I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, and that, <laughs> it's because of you, not because of me, bro. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, this is the best California speaker I've ever heard. But they, but when they said, um, when you wake up and just say, I'm going to go engage this thing. Mm -hmm. What you have to understand is it takes a massive, massive amount of courage to follow yeah. Jesus. 
It takes a massive amount of courage. And so you have to position your life to be encouraged. And you have to understand that the enemy is coming after your courage. He's trying to discourage you. Oh, will you tell a story about the playset? It spoke to me in the, in the book when you tell, will you tell yeah. that story for, about courage. Because I think that that puts some real teeth on what courage yeah. looks like today. Well, so, so when I say call, um, you know, the Lord gives us a vision. He, he calls us. And uh, again, it might, it's not just what you're called to do. Some of you are called to start a business. Yeah. Some of you, the Lord has put in your heart that he wants you to, to start a business. Some of you, like I said, he's called you to be a man of purity. Um, so he gives you a call and, um, and, and, and we get excited about it. We're, yes, I want to be a man of purity. Yes, I can't wait. I, I want to I own a business. And, but the problem is, is it's really easy to have vision. It's, it's really easy to get excited about vision. But what we don't realize is in between point A, in between Jonathan stepping on off the hillside to stepping onto the other hillside, in between point A and point B uh, is a journey that requires courage. And this is the, uh, the, story, that you, the story that you referenced was uh, when my kids were little, we would go to Home Depot, and and every time I'd walk into Home Depot, they had these play structures set up, these wooden play, and they were like involved. It was like a two-story fort, climbing wall, rope, uh, uh, you know, swing, like a slide, and I'd walk in, but they were like, I don't know, they were like $1,200, $1,500. Yeah, they're and not, I'm walking they're not in. cheap. Right. No, and I remember looking at them going, oh, I'd so love to have one of those in my backyard. I just can't afford it. So one day I go, my father-in-law's in town visiting, and we go to Home Depot to get something, and we walk in, he looks and goes, I want to get one of those for the grandkids. I was like, right now? He goes, I'm like, Yes! So I don't even know if I got what I was supposed to get. I just went straight to the counter. We bought this thing and I'm driving home and I am so excited because I can see the vision of the play structure in my, I know exactly where I'm going to put it. I can see my kids playing on it. All the neighborhood kids there. I'm the hero dad. So excited. Love it. Three days later, the play structure was delivered to my house on a flatbed and they dropped it off of my driveway, but it did not look at all like the vision I had in my head mm. <laughs> uh, because it wasn't put together. Yeah. And so it was just piles of wood and piles of boxes with parts. And I am not handy. Like I'm the opposite of handy. And so it, no joke, it took four days no. and I had to call 10 different friends to come help me put this stupid thing together. They weren't, none of the wood was labeled. Uh, <laughs> it, it was like this crazy thing. Oh, dude. And so anybody can get excited about the vision of the play set. What they don't realize is, is that vision comes with a journey that requires work and requires courage. You have to have courage to walk this thing out because that vision isn't built. That vision's going to encounter resistance. That there, there's some there, that vision is going to encounter delays. I talk in the book about seasons of delays. Like, like it's gonna encounter delays. It's gonna like this this valley is a journey of some ups and downs. It's and you've got to have courage. 
So this is my big thing with people. I want them to get excited about point B. I want them to have a passion for point B. I want them to be ready for point B. I also want them to understand there's a journey ahead of you and it takes a ton of courage. And when God drops that vision off of your driveway, it's not complete. It requires you to actually step up and walk this thing out. And I think a lot of people get derailed. In all honesty, I think people get derailed because they're confused by this thing. Yeah. And, and maybe if I could just touch this point real quick. Please do. Now you've got me in all my favorite soapbox issues. I love it. Oh, this is what I'm here for, man. <laughs> I, so I'm a pastor, and right. I love people. So hear sure. me on this. And I love the body of Christ. But part of my concern, again, broad stroke with the American church, yeah. which I love dearly. And I think the American church is doing a great job. So I actually am very positive and hope-filled about the American church. But one of the things is when consumerism creeps into the church. Ooh, preach. Because I actually love consumerism. In American culture, I love consumerism. I love that there are people in companies that are sitting around trying to figure out how to make my life easier. Yeah. <laughs> like it, what an amazing thought that somebody's like, hey, we can, let's make, let's make Benny's life easier by letting him order groceries online drive up and not even have to walk in <laughs> somebody will bring it out i love this so i want to hug them i'm like it. i don't know who you are but i love you and it doesn't even cost anymore i'm like this is whatever whoever thought of that's great so i love i actually really do love consumerism when it comes to culture in the world but the problem is is when consumerism comes into the church consumerism is built on the concept of removing struggle yeah so, so there are competing businesses and they're trying to re- make things as easy as possible. So all of a sudden, uh, you know, Staples has a whole marketing campaign around an easy button. They're literally saying, oh, if you come to ours, it's so easy. You know, you know Office Depot? so complicated to shop at Office Depot, but we've made it easy to shop here. And everybody's like, I'm going to go there because it's so easy. Um, and, 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 you know, if you can imagine two coffee shops on the same street, they're trying to compete for people's business and money. So, so there's, a, there's a business owner at the, the coffee shop owner one day is sitting in there and he sees somebody drive up and the guy gets out of his car. He waits in line. He buys a coffee. He waits, waiting for the coffee to get done takes the coffee, doesn't sit down, but goes back out in his car and leaves. He got his coffee to go. Well, the business owner goes, I think I can eliminate part of the hassle and struggle by putting a drive-through in. So he puts a drive-through in. And now people are going to the coffee shop or the drive-through simply because it's easier and somebody's removed the struggle. Okay, here's the problem. Is that in the church, we are trying to remove the struggle for people so that they'll come to our church. We're trying to go, hey, we made community so easy. Community couldn't be easier here. We've made finding your calling easy. We've removed all obstacle, all struggle to generosity and community and serving, you know, you know like serving super easy and giving super easy. And the problem is, is struggle is part of the Christian faith. Like, like, 
like when we like, and I tell our church, I say, and, and I listen, I want to serve our church. Sure. I've got like, we want to serve families. I'm trying to make it easy for moms to bring their kids to church. I am. I'm trying, and I want to make signs so it's clear. And I want the mom to be able to like, we are trying to serve people. And we, we are like, it's not like I'm not trying to serve people. But in our good intentions of serving people, my concern is, is that we've communicated that things are easy and we're trying to make it as easy as possible for you. And, and the problem is, and I tell our church community is struggle. I don't know what to tell you. Like if you're here, <laughs> no, and you're so having true. a hard, if you're here and you're struggling to find community, that's not a bad thing. And, and me going, oh, no, no, are you struggling finding community? Okay, let me, uh, let me figure out how to remove all struggle from mm. your life so you never struggle finding community. Sometimes it takes time to find community. Sometimes you struggle finding community. Sometimes you got to figure out whether or not you believe in this or not. There's a story of, uh, about the emperor moth. If I read it, it'd be more articulate. But the story of the emperor moth and a guy is, is that a guy found an emperor moth cocoon, and uh, he watched it, and one day he saw the emperor moth struggling to get out. And finally, it, it, this, the emperor moth got to a place where it just felt like he couldn't get out. So, so this guy, in his desire to help the moth, cut a little slit in the, um, in the, in the, in the uh, cocoon? cocoon, and the moth came out easily. But when the moth came out, his body was blow, you know, his body was bloated and swollen, and his wings were small. And he, and the guy thought, oh well, eventually that will change, but it didn't. And the moth never flew because what this guy didn't realize was, is God has created a cocoon and that struggle, the struggle of getting out of that cocoon is actually what forces the blood from the body of the moth into the wings. <laughs> and so it forces the blood into the wings so that the moth can fly. And when you remove the struggle you're removing the very thing that gives people the ability to find freedom in flight. And so the, prob so the problem is, <laughs> this is what I'm talking about with courage right now. Yeah. This is why I'm saying I think people are confused. I think we've tried to go, hey, you've got a calling on your life. Here's the pre-made, preset, all put together. Yeah, take nice this four-week internet course. Yeah. Boom, there it is. And I'm like, no, you got a call in your life. And guess what? That call's going to get dropped off on your driveway, not made. And it's going to take a <laughs> massive amount of courage. It's going to take a massive amount of faith. And I think, honestly, I think people are up for it. They're just confused by it because right. we've communicated somehow there should be no struggle in Christianity. It shouldn't be hard to find community. Community should be super easy to find. No, sometimes it's not. So I don't care what kind of small group structure you have. Right. Sometimes it's not easy to find community and you just have to go, no, I believe in community and I'm going to stick with this. And the struggle of finding community is actually what brings health and maturity into your life and allows you to fly. And so my point is this is yes, the call takes courage. <laughs> And I would say this to you right now, if you're listening and you're discouraged, be encouraged because that's like discouragement is something that, that hits everybody who's trying to go after what God's called them to go after. And, and I, I'm like, you don't have to stay there, position your life to be encouraged, but there's not a leader I know. And I'm talking about these are guys with churches of 15, 20,000. 
These are guys with churches of a hundred. These are guys that are CEOs of multi, you know, million dollar companies and guys that have a small little, uh, uh, sole ownership, you know, like owner operator business. All of them deal with discouragement on some level. All of them do because the enemy is coming to disarm you of courage because he knows this. You cannot be who God's called you to be. You cannot do what God's called you to do apart from courage. So, so he's coming to discourage you. And uh, um, uh, God's called you um, to be a parent and to raise godly kids. Yeah. Man, sometimes we're discouraged. We're like, Amen. God, I'm so discouraged in this process. My kids aren't Common core math, discouraging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My kids are teenagers right now, so they're homeschooling themselves during this quarantine. And it is amazing. I'm watching all of my uh, friends with little kids. And, and I, don't, I think I, I'll talk to my kid. I'm like, you guys are doing your school, right? Right? I, like, they're like, yeah, right? They're like, yeah, you got, here's you what, got here's discovered, what my, right? Here's what my homeschooling parent is. You're doing your work, right? All right, sounds good. I, I just am assuming you're doing it. But sure. yes, no, you're right. But there can be discouragement. Like, God, yeah. my kids aren't doing good, or this happened, or, or, and you can be discouraged. And it takes courage to be a parent. It takes courage to do what God's called you to do. So yes, that, and that's why they're confused when, when a playground is dropped in their driveway, not made, and, the, and, and they go, wait, I've got a journey ahead. Yeah. But oh, man, the journey is... Uh, it's the beautiful part. This is where you just meet Jesus in a new way. Manny, it's so good to talk to you. It's so rich. I, I, mean, I could literally listen to this for hours, but uh, I, I want to honor your time and what you've already been so generous with. I know my listeners are going to want to follow you and pre-order the book and get the book out. It, it's going to come out the, this week, the same week the podcast drops. Uh, the book is coming out. So where can they find you? Where can they find the book? Where can they yeah, find well, more of this fire teaching? Uh, well, jeezculture.com, uh, uh, you know, and then jeezculture.tv, all that type of stuff is where they can come get resources. And then just all my social media at the banning. And then the book, of course, it's, it's on Amazon, wherever you can buy books. Well, I, we say wherever you buy books, but I don't know if it's in Walmart, but, but, um, but, but Amazon, Amazon sure. bookstores, jeezculture.com. Sure, sure. we'll and we'll link to all of it. Stuff. We'll link to all of it in the show notes. Uh, the final question I always love to ask people. It's an advice question. If okay. You, if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice. Now I'm, I'm going to take you to a very specific time as a young uh, church planner, you moved to Sacramento, you're going to start this brand new movement of God's people. If you could go back and toss, talk to pastor Banning, then what would you say? Yeah. Wow. Um, what would I say? Uh, well, I, I, I <laughs> this is going to sound so simple and practical, but, um, uh, I would, I, I would tell him, Hey, get, get ready to be patient. Yeah. The Lord's about to work on your patience and that patience that whenever God requires patience from us, it's because he's trying to perfect something in us. There's something that we're lacking mm. and patience is coming to perfect that and release what we're lacking. So I would just say, Hey, on this journey, a lot of great stuff's going to happen, but just be ready. It's going to require some patience. That's beautiful. That is so beautiful. Uh, thank you so much for your time today and for being there for us and for this piece of work that's putting out. It feels so needed. So I, I really do appreciate it. Great to be with you guys. See, I told you what an incredibly rich conversation with Pastor Banning. I just really like the way he talks about courage and how we need the courage to live the life that God wants from us. Um, I was taken back by how he really talked about content and identity and holiness and 
removing the struggles when struggle is might actually be helping us. I just, it's so good to think about things that way. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please give us some feedback. We'd love to hear what you thought. Share the episode wherever you can. Maybe tell somebody about the episode. Uh, it's the best compliment that you can give us. And again, if you're ready to become part of the the Reclamation podcast community, text the word reclaim to 66866. Have a great day, guys, and we look forward to seeing you real soon.